0: And as you find your seats, we're going to read actually two passages this morning. It is uh, appropriate, I think is the right word, to talk about the Lord's Day on the Lord's Day, which is today, Sunday. And we're going to read two passages to set our thoughts and to give us some context and hopefully we will be unpacking these as we go along. The first passage is Exodus chapter 20. Exodus 20, we'll be reading verses eight through 11. Exodus 20, eight through 11. You will recognize this as the fourth commandment of the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20, verses eight through 11. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male or your female servant or your cattle or your sojourner who stays with you. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Now please turn with me to the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 4. We'll be reading verses 1 through 11. Hebrews chapter 4. Verses 1 through 11. The writer to the Hebrews writes, Therefore, let us fear if, while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. For indeed, we have had good news preached to us, just as they also. But the word they heard did not profit them, because it was not united by faith in those who heard. For we have believed, enter that rest, just as he has said, As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest, although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has said somewhere concerning the seventh day, and God rested on the seventh seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, they shall not enter my rest. Therefore, since it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly had good news preached to them failed to enter because of disobedience, he again fixes a certain day today, saying through David, after so long a time, just as has been said before, today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, he would not have spoken of another day after that. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works, as God did from his. Therefore. Let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. This is the word of God. Let us pray. O Lord, we need Thee every hour. We need thee every hour. We need thee especially in this hour as we turn to your word. We need you, O Lord, to be with us. Lord, would you come? Would you help us to see what you want us to see, what the Spirit says to the churches? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the most famous movies ever produced was the movie Chariots of Fire. Chariots of Fire won the Academy Award for Best Picture in 1982. The movie tells the true story of a Christian Scotsman named Eric Liddell. Liddell was born in China to Christian missionary parents. Liddell was an exceptional athlete, a world-class sprinter. When his sister asked him why he ran, he said, when I run, I feel God's pleasure. Eric Liddell qualified for the 1924 Olympics in Paris, and he was the favorite to win the 100 meter sprint, which was his primary event. But when Liddell discovered that the race would fall on a Sunday, he refused to run. Eric Liddell was favored to win Olympic gold in the 100 meter, and he gave it up to go to church. Instead, Liddell preached a sermon that Sunday at the Paris Church of Scotland, and he quoted from Isaiah 40, verse 31, But they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run... And not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. Later in the Olympics, Eric Liddell ran the 400 meter race, which was not his forte. He was not at all expected to win, nor even to medal. But Liddell ran that race, and he ended up winning Olympic gold. Liddell went on to become a missionary to China, just like his parents, where he laid down his life for the gospel. In 1945, Eric Liddell died in China in a Japanese internment camp during World War II. Now perhaps you may differ from Eric Liddell. Perhaps you may have different convictions from him. Perhaps if you were favored to win Olympic gold, you would run that race. But at the very least, We can admire Eric Liddell for being a man of principle. At the very least, we can respect Liddell's attitude towards the Lord's Day as challenging, and in some way, hopefully, inspiring. Eric Liddell's attitude towards the Lord's Day was a great testimony of faith, not only to France, not only to Scotland, not only to his fellow athletes, but to the whole world up until today. This morning in our series on the communion of the saints, we will be seeking to understand the Lord's day, Sunday, our day of Christian worship. The specific day of worship in the Old Testament was Saturday, the Sabbath, the seventh day of the week, the last day of the week. The specific day of worship in the New Testament is Sunday, the first day of the week, the day of Christ's resurrection. Sunday is called the Lord's Day in Revelation 1.10 when the Apostle John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. Sunday is accurately called the Lord's Day. We in our church rightly call Sunday the Lord's Day. The Lord's Day is a very unique phrase. It is a very unique grammatical construction, and it means literally belonging to the Lord. It is the day belonging to the Lord. It is unique. In fact, it is only found in one other phrase of the New Testament, the Lord's Supper. There is a Lord's Day, just as there is a Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is a supper belonging to the Lord. It is holy, sacred, solemn. It belongs to God. It is not just any meal. I can't just eat in and out for dinner and call that the Lord's Supper. Of course not. It is a meal belonging to God. It is set apart. Likewise, if you believe there is a Lord's Supper, then you ought also to believe there is a Lord's Day, a day belonging to God. That is, after all, what the phrase means. It is a day belonging to the Lord. Now, of course, it goes without saying, every day belongs to God. All days belong to God. Every single day belongs to God. But there is only one day that bears the title, the Lord's Day. Now I wanna make clear right at the outset that I will not be getting into all the debate about whether the fourth commandment is binding upon us today. I will not be discussing that issue. I will not be making a list of do's and don'ts about what you are to do or not do on your Sunday. That is what the Pharisees did in making extra biblical lists about their Sabbath. In fact, in the Mishnah, which is the extra biblical book of Jewish law, The Pharisees listed 253 rules concerning their Sabbath. They even talked about how many eggs you were allowed to lift on the Sabbath day. My goal this morning is not to make a Mishnah for you. But it is to seek to understand our day of Christian worship, the Lord's Day. And one of the ways we can understand the Lord's Day is to apply underlying biblical principles of the Fourth Commandment. I believe that we can carefully, thoughtfully, wisely distill the theological principles which undergird the fourth commandment and make application to us as New Testament believers. So let's look and see five purposes of the Lord's day. Five purposes of the Lord's day. First, reverence. Reverence. The clearest purpose of the Lord's Day is the purpose of reverence, the purpose of honor, the purpose of praise, the purpose of worship. The Lord's Day is primarily to be a day of Christian worship, and that is specifically a day of the corporate worship of the people of God. God specifically designed that on Sunday we should get together in a corporate way and worship him. In the Old Testament, we see that the Sabbath was primarily a day of corporate worship, In the New Testament, the Lord's day is the day of corporate worship. Acts 20, verse 7. On the first day of the week, that is Sunday, the Lord's day, when we gathered together to break bread, Paul began talking to them, intending to leave the next day, and he prolonged his message until midnight. Now notice, on the first day of the week, Sunday, the Lord's day, the disciples gathered together. This is the gathering of the saints, the gathering of the church. And they gathered together to break bread. This isn't just any meal. This is a reference to communion, the Lord's Supper. And then after that, Paul shared a message, a sermon, if you will. They had preaching on the Lord's day. First 1 Corinthians 16.2. On the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there will be no collecting when I come. Here we see the church gathering together on Sunday to take offering. Now you don't need me to tell you what is already plainly clear. You can already see all of these are aspects of corporate worship. The disciples gathered together. The disciples partook of the ordinance of communion. The disciples took offering. The disciples had preaching. These are all aspects of corporate worship. And the writers of the New Testament specify that this corporate worship takes place on the first day of the week, the Lord's Day. Now, as a caveat, let me say that if a church cannot gather on the Lord's Day, on Sunday, due to various circumstances, they would do well to worship on another day of the week. So, for example, I'm going to share an illustration that is a bit sensitive. So, the other day I was, uh, may or may not have been talking to Pastor Sam, and he may or may not have been in a part of the world where they may or may not have a work week which goes Sunday through Thursday. They may or may not have had all of these things. No, really, their work week was Sunday through Thursday. (laughs) In that part of the world, this church gathers on Saturday. And that's a good thing. We commend that. There may be circumstances which preclude Sunday as a day of worship. But all things being equal, Unless so providentially hindered, corporate worship happens on the Lord's day. This is the normal pattern set forth in scripture. Second purpose of the Lord's day is rhythm. Rhythm. The next observation I want to make is a very basic one. Maybe even an obvious one. And that is the observation that the week exists. The week exists. There is a universal concept of a seven-day week. The rhythm of our world revolves around the seven-day week. The rhythm of our lives revolves around the seven-day week. And the seven-day week is based on none other than Scripture itself. You cannot explain the seven-day week apart from the Bible. Think of it. There are actual, physical, natural phenomena which direct other units of time. Days exist because it takes 24 hours for the earth to rotate. Months exist because it takes roughly 30 days for the moon to wax and wane. Years exist because it takes that long for our planet to orbit around the sun. There are actual, natural phenomena which direct days, months, and years. But that is not the case with the week. The seven-day week does not correspond to anything in nature. The seven-day week does not correspond to anything in the universe, but it does correspond to the word of God. Genesis two two. And on the seventh day, God rested from his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. Simply said, there is no other explanation apart from the Bible for the seven-day week. The entire world lives by the rhythm set forth from the pattern of Scripture, and it does not even know it. Third purpose of the Sabbath, of the Lord's Day, is rest. Rest. Sabbath means rest. Now, obviously, there's a lot of controversy about this topic, but this morning, I'd like to keep it at the level of the lowest common denominator. I'd like to keep it where there is a consensus. And I am going to argue that the Old Testament Sabbath points to a spiritual rest, an eternal rest, a heavenly rest, a salvific rest. The Old Testament Sabbath was a type which points to our salvation in Christ. The Sabbath points to salvation. Now there are three lines of evidence for this. The first line of evidence that the Sabbath points to salvation is what I will call the divine work-rest dynamic. When Jesus heals a man on the Sabbath in John 5, he does so with this monumental statement. John 5:17 My Father is working until now, and I myself am working. Jesus says, God the Father and God the Son went back to work After the creation week, we may have rested on the seventh day, but after the seventh day, we went back to work. We got up from our rest, and we went back to work. In the original week, back in Genesis 1, God worked to make creation. And then on the seventh day, God rested. But that first creation was plunged into sin. It was marred by the fall. When Adam sinned, he plunged the first creation into futility. So at that point, did God just yawn and hit the snooze button because he was resting and he was tired? Did God just look at his creation and say, oh, just figure it out yourself? Absolutely not. After the fall, God, Went back to work. God got up from his Sabbath rest and started working on a new creation. A new creation. And what is that new creation? You are, O oh Christian. You are, O oh believer. You are the new creation that God has been working for. 2 Corinthians 5.17, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, that person is a new creation. The old has gone, the new is here. In the first creation week, God created the first Adam, the progenitor of the human race. In the second creation, God sent the second Adam, the progenitor of a new humanity, a redeemed human race. God has been working towards a second creation, a new creation, a redeemed people, the church, a new humanity. When God the Son condescended into our world, he came to work. Notice the language, the specific wording. John 17.4, I glorified you on the earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. Jesus came to work. I and my Father are working, he says. And the work of Jesus was done on the cross when he said in John 19:30 It is finished. My work is finished. It is accomplished. It is done. It is over with. I was working, but now my work is finished. And then when Jesus resurrected and ascended, he rested. He rested. Hebrews 1.3, when he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Jesus sat down to signify that his work was done. He sat down to signify that he was resting. He sat down to signify that he was entering Sabbath rest. Piper says, This is why the early church took the first day of the week as its day of worship and turned away from the seventh day. The seventh day marked the victory of the first creation. The first day marked the victory of the new creation with the resurrection of Christ. The Christian church made the change from the seventh to the first day for worship because it was the day that the Lord Jesus rose from the dead, the day he vindicated the completion of his Father's redeeming work. The new creation, the new humanity were purchased and established. So Saturday is the day of victory of the first creation, Whereas Sunday, the Lord's Day, is the day of victory of the new creation, the church, the redeemed people of God. Now, as you know, I went to a Seventh-day Adventist medical school. And as you remember from our discussion, our message on the doctrine of the church, Seventh-day Adventists worship on Saturday, the Sabbath. And they do so not because of providential reasons, which hinder them from worshiping on Sunday. Seventh-day Adventists worship on Saturday because they are seeking to preserve Old Testament law. They are seeking to bring us back to a pre-fall state. They are seeking to bring us back to the Garden of Eden, an Edenic state. So they are not providentially hindered from worshiping on Sunday. They are choosing to worship on Saturday for an erroneous theological reason. Well, I would say that Much of the time, I tried not to bring up this topic of the day of worship with many of my Adventist friends, just in a spirit of graciousness. But there was always one day of the year where the discussion had to happen. I just couldn't help myself. And that day is Easter, Resurrection Sunday. And I would talk to my friends and just remind them that when you go to worship on Saturday, when you go to worship Christ on Saturday, the Old Testament Sabbath, Christ is still in the grave. Why don't you come worship on Sunday, the day of resurrection, the day of victory? Secondly, the gospel work-rest dynamic, the gospel work-rest dynamic. Let's think of the Sabbath from a different perspective. Let's think of the Sabbath from our perspective, from my perspective, from your perspective, from the perspective of the gospel. To seek to work our way into heaven by works of the law is to bear a heavy burden. To seek to work our way into heaven it is to be weary and heavy laden. It is to be weighed down spiritually. But when we cease from our own labors of trying to work our way into heaven and we rest in Christ, we obtain true spiritual Sabbath. We rest from our own righteousness. We rest from our own labor of trying to work our way into heaven. We rest from our own works. Hebrews 4.10 says, For the one who has entered his rest has himself also rested from his works as God did from his. So just as God rested after creation on the seventh day, in the gospel, we rest from our works. From our works, righteousness. From our labors of trying to get into heaven. Hebrews 4.3 says, We who have believed enter that rest. The writer to the Hebrews makes clear that when you believe in Christ, you obtain Sabbath. You obtain Sabbath for your soul. You cease labor and you rest in Christ. From the lips of Jesus himself, Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you Rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Christ is our Sabbath. Christ is our eternal rest. Christ is our true Sabbath. Now think of this for a moment, brethren. Let's go back to the original creation week. When it says that God rested, does it mean that God rested because he was tired? Did God rest because he was fatigued? Did God rest because he needed a break? Of course not. Absolutely not. God does not get tired, God does not need a break. God rested in the sense that he was satisfied. God rested in the sense that he was pleased. After God created, he was able to look at his creation and say, Genesis 1.31, it is very good. He was saying, it is good. I am satisfied. I am pleased with my work of creation. This is my creation in which I am well pleased. Likewise, when God looks at Christ's work of redemption, God the Father says, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. I am satisfied with your work of redemption. I am satisfied, I am pleased with your work of salvation. Colossians 2 16 through 17 says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Paul is saying that the Sabbath was a shadow, but Christ is the substance. Christ is the substance behind the shadow of the Jewish Sabbath. Augustine said, you have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds its rest in you. And that is why we preach the gospel every Sunday, because it is only in the gospel that the soul can find its rest in Christ. Thirdly, the heavenly work-rest dynamic. Hebrews chapter 4, verses 9 and 11. So there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Now, the key word here is remains. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Now, wait a minute, Ben. I I thought you just said that when you believe in the gospel, you enter Sabbath rest. True. But the writer to the Hebrews points out that there is a future aspect to our Sabbath rest. There is a Sabbath rest yet to come. There is more to come. If you are faithful, you will enter that Sabbath rest, future tense. If you are not faithful, you will not enter that Sabbath rest, future tense. And what is this talking about? This is talking about the ultimate rest, the final rest, the eternal rest. This is talking about the Sabbath rest of heaven. One day the new creation will be consummated in the new heavens, and the new earth. One day there will be only Sabbath. There will be eternal Sabbath. There will be infinite Sabbath. There will be heavenly Sabbath. The Sabbath rest that we find in Christ will one day reach its fullness and fruition in heaven. There is a Sabbath rest yet to come. Now, this is not to say that we should not think of our final Sabbath rest every other day of the week. Indeed, you should think of our heavenly Sabbath Monday through Saturday. But on the Lord's Day, we have a day specifically set aside to remind us of our heavenly home. We have a specific day set aside to remind us that we are citizens of heaven. We have a specific day set aside to remind us to set our minds on things above, not on things that are on earth. The fourth purpose for the Lord's Day is refreshment. Refreshment. Now, one of the clear purposes of the Sabbath in the Old Testament was to gain refreshment and rest from physical labor. This was not just true of man, this was also true of God. Exodus 31, 16 through 17. So the sons of Israel shall observe the Sabbath to celebrate the Sabbath throughout their generations as a perpetual covenant. It is a sign between me and the sons of Israel forever. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, but on the seventh day he ceased from labor and was refreshed. Now, that's speaking about God, not just man. God was refreshed, not just man. And what he's saying is, is that a day off is a good thing. It is a blessing from God. Brethren, we have to realize that there are parts of this world where a day off is absolutely absurd. When you're speaking to an Israelite coming out of a lifetime of slavery in Egypt, a day off is unthinkable, unfathomable. They could not even imagine what it was like to have a day off. A day off? After a lifetime of slavery? What a blessing! What an incredible blessing! Now, The principle of rest from labor is extremely important. And you know this principle well because it is actually programmed into our very framework as human beings. You know what I'm talking about. Sometimes you work so hard, day after day after day, day in, day out. And you know what happens? You get tired. You get fatigued. You get grouchy. Just ask your wife. You may even become less efficient and make more mistakes. You know what you need? You need a day off. You need a break. You need to rest. Look, I'm not saying you can't work on Sunday. I totally understand that there are certain lines of work, certain professions that you absolutely have to work on Sunday. And I myself know this very well. I was just thinking about it this morning. In my lifetime, I've had two careers medical doctor and pastor, both of which work on Sunday. So I understand this. I get that. But all I'm trying to say is that a day off is okay. It is okay to take a break. And according to God, it is more than just okay. It is a good thing. It is a necessary thing, a refreshing thing, a healthy thing, a beneficial thing. At the heart of the Ten Commandments is not a list of do's and don'ts. At the heart of the Ten Commandments is a revelation of the character of God himself. God is telling us about himself in the Ten Commandments. For instance, Thou shalt not lie reveals that God is a God of truth. He is not a God of falsehood. Thou shalt not covet. In God, we could have everything we could ever want. He is most desirable and satisfying. Thou shalt not commit adultery, reveals God's covenant faithfulness. Thou shalt not murder, reveals that God is a living God, a God who values life. Well, what is God saying about himself in the fourth commandment? He's saying, I am a God of compassion. I am a God of mercy. I am a God of grace. I see your frailty. I see how you were made and I want to give you a day off. God knows our frame. This is what Jesus meant when he said in Mark two, twenty-seven to 28, Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. Sabbath was made for man. God made Sabbath with man in mind. God made Sabbath so that man could rest. God made Sabbath because he is merciful to man. God made rest because he is gracious to man. The fourth purpose, the fifth purpose of the Lord's day is remembrance. Remembrance. Deuteronomy 5.15 says, Remember that you were slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out of there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. One of the purposes of the Sabbath was as a memorial. Every Saturday, Israel was to get together to remember how God had freed them from slavery in Egypt. It was a weekly reminder of how God had redeemed them from slavery in Egypt, there is a redemptive aspect to the Sabbath. Likewise, when we gather on the Lord's day to worship Jesus Christ, we are to remember that we have been freed from an even greater master than Egypt. We have been freed from the master of sin. We are to remember on the Lord's day that we have been freed from a greater Lord than the lord of egypt we've been freed from the lordship of sin in the new testament and we talked about this this morning you see the term redemption or redeem all over the place to redeem means to free from slavery that's what it means 1 corinthians 130 says that by god's doing we are in christ who has become to us redemption Colossians 1.14 says in Christ we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now you have to understand that when Paul uses this term redemption, he is using the language of the Exodus. He is giving us the image of reminding us that we are freed from the slavery of Egypt. Before God called us and placed us in Christ, Charles Wesley said it best. Long my imprisoned spirit lay, fast bound in sin and nature's night. We were bound in sin. We were chained to sin. But when God saved us, he redeemed us and set us free from the lordship of sin. And just as we heard this morning, we ought not to stop here. We should not stop short. Because Paul tells us that we are not freed from slavery to sin to become masters over ourselves. We are freed from the mastery of sin to be a slave of someone else. We are freed to become slaves of Christ. Ephesians 6.6 says, We are slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart. Romans 6.18, Having been freed from sin, you have become slaves of righteousness. We are freed from one master to another master, no longer slaves of sin, but slaves of Christ. No longer slaves of sin, but slaves of righteousness. In the Lord's day, we have a day specifically set aside to remind us of our freedom from sin. The Lord's Day is a declaration of our freedom from the slavery of sin. It is a declaration that I will not be enslaved to sin. I will not be enslaved to this world. I will not be enslaved to self. I will not be enslaved to my work. I will be a slave of Christ, and I will have no other master but him. Let us relate this concept of lordship back to the Ten Commandments. Again, The Ten Commandments are not just some list of do's and don'ts. The Ten Commandments reveal to us God. And we can think about it from one perspective, as the Ten Commandments reveal God's lordship over our lives. In the first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me, God is telling us that he is to be lord over our worship You are not to make up a God of your own imagination. You are only to worship the one and true living God. In the second commandment, you shall not make for yourself an idol. God is Lord over our wills. You ought to worship God only in the way that he has ordained. You are not to worship God according to your will. You are to worship God according to his will. He is Lord over our wills. In the third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. God is to be Lord over our lips. God is to be Lord over our speech. In the fifth through ninth commandment, they summarize how God is to be Lord over our relationships. In the tenth commandment, you shall not covet. God reveals how he is to be Lord over our desires, our affections. He is to be Lord over our hearts. The Ten Commandments reveals the lordship of God. What about the Fourth Commandment? What is God saying about his lordship in the Fourth Commandment? Well, in the Fourth Commandment, God tells us that he is to be Lord over our time. He is to be Lord over our time. We are accountable to God how we spend our time. Now I remind you that the fourth commandment does not say six days of the week you can do whatever you want but on the seventh day worship me. No. The fourth commandment says you are to worship me six days of the week by working and on the seventh day you are to worship me by resting. God is to be Lord over our times. Our time. When I was in college I had a friend He was on fire for God. We went to fellowship group together. We were even in small group together, accountability brothers. And he always talked about becoming a businessman for the glory of God. He wanted to provide for his family and do a good work and support the church. Well, after college, we lost touch for many years. And years later, I saw him at a wedding. And I asked him how his walk with the Lord was. And he said, not good, not good. He said he stopped reading his Bible. He stopped seeing Christian friends. So I asked him, well, how's church? I mean, is there someone that can encourage you and keep you accountable? And he said that he hadn't been to church in many years because his job was so demanding. I mean, after all, the business world doesn't stop on Sunday. There was always work to do. So he hadn't gone to church in years. You know what happened to my friend? He became enslaved to his work his job had become his master his career had become his Lord he was a slave to his work and he forgot that he should have been a slave of Christ brethren the Lord's Day is a day where we are reoriented to the Godward life we are reminded of what truly matters It's a day where we can get our priorities straight, where we can be reminded of Christ's lordship over our lives. We set our spiritual compass straight. The Lord's Day is given to us to remind us that we are no longer slaves of sin, but slaves of Christ. Let me close this morning by just offering some practical thoughts on how to honor the Lord on the Lord's Day. First, Talk about the sermon on the Lord's day. Talk about the sermon on the Lord's day. Do something you wouldn't do every other day of the week. Discuss the sermon. And I don't mean critique the sermon, I mean discuss the biblical exhortation that you receive from the Word of God that morning. I mean, let's face it when is the sermon the freshest? The day it is preached. When are you most likely to have a beneficial conversation about how you can apply the word of God to your lives? The day it is preached. If you discuss the sermon on the Lord's Day, you are more likely to apply it to your life the rest of the week. Secondly, fellowship on the Lord's Day. Try to spend time with Christians on Sunday. Go out to lunch. Have people over for dinner. At the very least, don't just come to church, sit here and escape right after. Talk to people. Get to know us. Be encouraged and encourage. I understand. Trust me, I get it. All week, we are ensnared. We are weighed down with worldly burdens. We are just weighed down with worldly stresses. Trust me, I understand. This is the one day of the week that you get to spend time with your family. Family time the family of God. So let's take advantage of the Lord's day and let us fellowship on the Lord's day. Thirdly, come to church on the Lord's day. Now if I could say this plainly, God wants you to come to church on the Lord's day. Hebrews ten twenty five says, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. God means for you to come to church on the Lord's Day. God doesn't mean for you to go to Disneyland instead of church on the Lord's Day. God doesn't mean for you to go to an angel game, especially the angels. Dodger fan, but neither the Dodgers either. God doesn't mean for you to go to a baseball game on the Lord's Day instead of coming to church. God means for you to come to church on the Lord's Day. Now, I don't want to be legalistic about this. I mean, even in the Reformed Confessions, they give exceptions to things like this. They call them works of piety, works of mercy, works of necessity. Of course there are exceptions for coming to worship on the Lord's Day. For instance, sickness, health issues, mandatory work requirements you can't get out of, helping a family member or a friend in dire need, just had a baby, I said that because I'm about to just have a baby, but there are always exceptions. I'm not trying to be legalistic. What I'm trying to say is check your priorities. Check your priorities. Are you specifically choosing something other than the corporate worship of the people of God on the Lord's Day? Are you specifically choosing something for your own pleasure? Are you specifically skipping church in order to fulfill your own agenda? That is not God's design for the Lord's day. Remember, what does the Lord's day mean? It means it is the day belonging to the Lord. It is not your day. It is God's day. It belongs to God. J.C. Ryle says, Never be absent from God's house on Sundays without good reason. Never to miss the Lord's Supper when administered in our own congregation never to let our place be empty when means of grace are going on. This is one way to be a growing and prosperous Christian. The very sermon that we needlessly miss may contain a precious word in season for our souls. The very assembly for prayer and praise from which we stay away may be the very gathering that would have cheered and established and quickened our hearts. I was listening to the testimony of a well-known pastor and author. We'll just call him Kevin. Just a random name. We'll just make up a last name, DeYoung. Just call him Kevin DeYoung. Just random. I was listening to the testimony of Kevin DeYoung, and he was saying that he, quote, has one of those boring testimonies that we are so glad for, end quote. He grew up in a Christian home under the sound of the gospel. His parents were solid believers. And yeah, he knew the gospel from the day he was born. He didn't have some dramatic conversion experience. He just always knew the gospel. And he trusted in Christ for salvation. But the one thing that stood out to him growing up in that home was that when the people of God met, his family was there. He says... Quote, whenever the church met, we were there. Sunday morning, Sunday evening, Wednesday night even, we were there. We always knew that church was a priority. That was the one thing that stood out to him growing up. That was the one thing that stuck with him. Can I just speak to you from the heart, brothers and sisters, for a moment? Of course, Every Sunday, I come to the house of God for me to worship God, personally, for my own soul, for my own heart, for the good of my own spiritual walk. But above and beyond me, if I could just share with with you from the heart, above and beyond me, I yearn for my children to have this same boring testimony growing up. I yearn for my children to know that whenever the church meets, we will be there as far as is humanly possible. I yearn for my children to know that growing up, church is a priority. So brothers and sisters, I say this to you not to be a legalist, not as a rule, not as some law, but I say this as an encouragement. Let us recommit ourselves to the worship of God on the Lord's day. Let's recommit ourselves to being present at church on the Lord's Day. Whenever the church meets, we were there. The Puritans used to have many terms for the Lord's Day. They used to call the Lord's Day the market day of the soul. The day where we can come and take the water of life without cost, the bread of life without money the day where we can commune with heavenly currency. They called it the day of gain, of spiritual gain, the day of spiritual profit. They called it the day of feasting, the day of feasting on the word of God. Brothers and sisters, do you have the same attitude towards the Lord's day? I close with this quote from the Puritan Thomas Watson. This day a Christian is in the altitudes He walks with God and takes, as it were, a turn with him in heaven. The heart, which all the week was frozen, melts with the word. Let us pray. Our Father who is in heaven, Lord, let it be known that you are worthy of our worship. You are worthy of our praise. Let it be known that you are Lord over our lives and that we will not be enslaved to anything but you, our good and gracious master. Lord, we come to you to worship. Help us to be worshipers in spirit and in truth. Help us to be slaves of Christ, to give to you our time, our efforts, our all. Lord, we lift up All these things in Christ's name, amen.